When Detroit native Christoph Zajek Denik was born, doctors told his mother he would never likely lead a normal life. You see, Christoph was born with a rare form of dwarfism, which at the time meant that running, biking, even walking might not be possible for him. But after multiple surgeries and an incredible amount of determination, Christoph not only defied those early expectations, he broke through them and is living a life most people can only dream of. He has toured worldwide as the drummer of Detroit garage rock trio Hard Lessons, moved to Hollywood, and soon became an in-demand actor, even working with directors like David Lynch, playing Las Vegas hitman Ike the Spike in Twin Peaks. The Return, that one. And now Christoph has begun a podcast interviewing writers, actors, athletes, and many more folks with dwarfism who are living amazing lives as well. The podcast is called I'm Kind of a Big Deal. <laughs> Great name. Culture Shift's Amanda LeClaire spoke with him about his childhood here in Metro Detroit and what inspired his mission to share the real-life struggles and triumphs of those living with dwarfism. Yeah, I grew up in the Metro Detroit area. My family, you know, grew up in Detroit and then moved to the suburbs. My dad actually moved to a farm and I was born in to my parents and the, on the first day of my life, the doctors came in and told my mom, well, your son has dwarfism and we don't really know what that means or what that is exactly, but we know he'll never run, he'll never ride a bicycle, he'll never be physically active like a normal person. And that's really all we can say, you know, see you later. And my parents were pretty taken aback by that. They didn't know how to react, you know, on the very first day of my life hearing this news. And my parents are problem solvers. They want to make sure that they find the best solution to any sort of situation or complication. And so they found a doctor that specialized in dwarfism in Baltimore, Maryland. And so at two, I started to see a doctor. He basically set up a plan for my life in surgeries per se, and you know how to handle what I, uh, what the dwarfism was going to be throwing at me. So, you know, it was, people have asked me, how did you accept that or get over it? And, you know, I really didn't know anything else. And when you're a kid, anything that kind of comes to you, you're malleable, you know, and you understand that whatever life you have is your life and you just have to move forward with that. And so outside of that, I honestly lived a really normal life. I proved the doctors wrong that came in and said, this isn't going to happen. It actually happened. I you know, got super muddy in puddles. I would ride my bike on trails. I would uh, come home late at night, which was probably 8.30 PM. And my parents would be mad at me because I was going over curfew or something like that. But I was super active and I skateboarded and went on hikes and rode my bike and went snowmobiling and cross-country skiing. And I did everything. I swam in the pool in the summer times. I, I wasn't so different until other people started to point that out to me. And, you know, it, it's what happens with people with dwarfism. I'm now four feet four and I'm considerably shorter than just about all the average height, average height people around me. But as a kid, it's, you know, you don't really understand why. And th there's 
two different routes that you can go. Kids can just accept what is happening and say, okay, you know, you're different and that's cool. And then there's the other route of like, oh, I don't understand that. That's weird. I'm going to call you out about it, make fun of you, avoid you, you know, crack jokes. And it took me a long time to really navigate that and feel out how to best handle that in my own life and in my own being. And I, I've, I've realized that that's something that a lot of little people go through. You know, it's a really difficult thing when everyone else around you is shooting up in height and you're staying the same size. This is maybe six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, you know, that's when it becomes a realization that, oh, you're going to be different. And when everybody else is changing in the quote unquote normal ways, you're staying the same or possibly having complications. You know, at that particular age too, that is the age when everybody starts becoming really, really self-aware and really aware of, you know, their peers around them. You know, when you're starting to hit puberty and people are changing at different rates. Yeah. So on top of that, with like a, with a physical deformity like that, it just, it seems so compounded. And I want to talk about that a little bit more, but I also want to talk about like when the doctors told your parents this, you know, and told your mom, that you might never have, you know, physical capabilities to live any kind of a, a, a normal life. How, have you talked to them about that? Like how she felt and what they were thinking when they were told that? Yeah, I actually interviewed my mom. She's the first interview on my podcast. Um, she's my first interview subject, I should say, <laughs> or victim. And it was really cool to have her to hear her experience and her side of the story. My mom is very, very strong. She's um, a, a very independent woman and, you know, she's also sensitive as well. So hearing those words on the first day of your newborn's life is devastating. I learned, you know, that's a really heavy thing because you only want the best for your kids. You know, you only want the best for this new life and to have someone come in and say, Nope, this is it. Sorry, dreams are shattered. And that's all we can say. And my, my parents didn't dwell on that. They just went into let's let's fix this. Let's this isn't going to be this. This can't be the end all be all. There has to be another solution. And they sought that out. And I, I talk about dwarfism being a mixed bag and also people with dwarfism having to grow up before everyone else. But I also think parents with kids of dwarfism, they have to grow up before everybody else too, because there's so much that is involved, you know, medically. And that doesn't really, that, that doesn't even scratch the surface of the social implications of having shorter limbs or a body that looks differently than other people, you know, that you're, you're not expecting, you don't expect to see someone who's four feet tall in the grocery aisle, but you know, it's something that you have to live through and, and through those experiences, whether you handle them with grace right out of the gate, which I don't think any of us do, but you eventually figure out how to, you know, build up a tougher skin, deflect some questions. Um, there are definitely hurtful comments that my mom and dad heard. You know, my mom talks about a guy who approached uh, her when we were on vacation and suggested doctors and, uh, you know, said other things about me. And it's like, man, 
this isn't your business. What are you talking about? So people always kind of want to share their piece or interject or, or say different things. Well, you know, I, I would love to hear like, you know, as you grew up and you entered the Detroit music scene, part of the hard lessons, you know, Detroit is such especially the music scene, it's it's a small scene and it's can be very supportive and can be very kind of treacherous at times. What was your experience uh, with the hard lessons? Because you guys, you know, you, you had so much success getting out of Detroit. You're touring the world as well with them. So what was that like for you? In Detroit, I believe my experience was 99% supportive. I, I, I really can't imagine or think of a time when somebody who at least it was sober, you know, came up to me and said, oh, you know, you're a midget on the drums or like what is, you know, trying to pigeonhole or to token, put me in some sort of token box that this was amazing that there was a, a short statured drummer. Um, I can only remember people being really awesome and, and gracious and supportive, I should say. When we went on the road, it was a different story because we're in uncharted territory, you know, new venues, new people. And I definitely picked up on the fact that when I was loading my drums into bars and people were staring at me, you know, we'd be loading in for sound check and people would be staring at me or make comments or there's an interesting just thing that people want to say stuff. I guess this is something that we just talked about that never goes away. You know, people want to come up and say, oh, you're so cool because you play drums. And it's like, yes, that's all really nice and good and cool, but it never really identifies who I am as someone with a dwarfism. And so I, I just find it interesting that over the years, especially in bands and playing all these different venues, people have all these different reactions. They are surprised, intrigued, um, floored. They want to take a photo. And it almost feels like I'm always proving people wrong in a way, I guess, because the disbelief of, you know, having someone walk in at four feet four and load their drums and do a sound check and then come back off the stage and then play later is, is just mind boggling for them. And, but in Detroit, it was always awesome. So let's talk about your move to LA. You know, in the podcast, you talk about when you first went out there, your intention was to keep being involved involved with music. And then these acting gigs were just being thrown at you. <laughs> so so I, take was, I was batting them away with sticks. There were just so <laughs> many of them. It was insane. Was it a weird decision for you to start acting? I guess were you nervous that there was something that you, you couldn't do and you were obviously being asked to, to play these parts because of your dwarfism? Was there any issue for you where you're like, no, I don't want to be that visible? Or was it like, a, you know, why don't I try this out? Let's see where this goes. Yeah, it was a little bit of all of that, actually. I didn't get a job when I moved to L.A. I'd like to hang myself off the cliff and see what happens. And I ended up getting an agent after a month of being in town and they ended up getting me a job for two days on a television pilot, which I don't believe went anywhere, but I worked with 11 little people on this show 
And at this time I'm 30 and I literally have a relationship or I have known one other little person in my life at 30 years old. I just, that's another whole issue. I, I did not want to associate myself with any other little people. I was very awkward about that, which is interesting because I am a little person, but when I worked on this television pilot, that was the first time I was around other little people that I felt like I had something in common with, or we were both working in the entertainment industry. And that was cool to me. And there were cameras around my, my degrees in film production and audio. And so I, I, I loved being around this whole new world of cameras and stuff. But when I left those work days, I left with the intention of, okay, that was cool. And I made, you know, a couple hundred bucks and I need that to survive, but let's go back to music. We need to go back and do, you know, the auditions again and, and try to get back out on the road and be a sideman as a drummer. That's what I really wanted to do. About three weeks, or I'm sorry, three months later, I got a call to uh, be a stand-in for a CGI alien character on a movie that was shooting in New Mexico. Universal Pictures called me and they said, hey, we want to hire you for three months and you know, we'll pay you every day and this is what the job is and are you interested? And it took me a second to take this. I mean, anybody in their right mind would be, yeah, of course, let's do it. I'm 100% I'm on board. Me, the stubborn person that I am, I was thinking, uh, that's not music. What am I going to do? So I called a buddy of mine, Butch Norton, who's a very well-known drummer. He's played with in a bunch of incredible bands like the Eels and um, Lucinda Williams. And I talked with him and I said, man, I, they called me for this gig and I don't know if I want to do it. And he, he basically lovingly said, are you stupid? Like you need money and this is a gig and they're going to pay you for the summer. Uh, you better take it. LA is not going anywhere. You need to go. And that was the impetus for me taking these production gigs in, in a way like I, I needed to survive. And that whole summer changed my entire perspective and my career. I met so many incredible people who are really dear friends of me. Now I was working with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Kristen Wiig and Jason Bateman and Joe Latrulio. And we were all living in the same town essentially and working together and, and hanging out on the weekends. And that, that just changed everything for me. And I was like, okay, this acting stuff is, is kind of fun. But at, as a musician, you don't necessarily, I, I feel like acting in music, there's a huge divide there because at least in Detroit, I felt like you're a musician and you are, that is your salt. That's what you do. That is your identity. And acting, modeling, and stuff like that is not necessarily blended with that. It might be different now, but when I was there, that was the perspective that I had. And it did take me a moment to, obviously, <laughs> accept that being on camera and doing these jobs was something that was cool and that I could do. I want to go back to, uh, you know, what you just mentioned at the beginning of that, that until you were in your 30s, did not want to associate with other people with uh, with dwarfism or, or, or did not really, you know, seek out their company. But now you have this podcast where we you literally <laughs> interviewing so many people. People um, can change. <laughs> yeah. and, and talking so intensely about your experiences and their experiences and 
I guess just take me through what changed for you mentally to switch into really wanting to tell these stories. I mean, really everything changed for me mentally. I, I, you garner so much attention when you are showing up with short arms and short legs. And that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot to handle. It's a lot to figure out where from behind your tough skin, you want to choose to be sensitive to allow other people in. Right. And then if there are two people who have short arms and short legs, guess what's going to happen if they interact around other, or at least what I think they're going to is going to happen. You know, there's going to be even more attention. Are they, are they friends? Are they family? Are they lovers? Are they, what is happening? Like we never see one. Now we're seeing two. We definitely need to take a photo of this. All of this pressure was what was on the front of my brain. I didn't want to deal with that. I couldn't handle it. I, I, I just kept all the little people at arm's length or farther away because I didn't have the bandwidth for it. I couldn't compute and I just didn't want to deal with it. When I was 18 years old, I went to an LPA regional event that was in Michigan and I reluctantly showed up, probably stayed about an hour and a half. And I just said, nope, nope, nope not for me. And I just left and never saw those people. I think I saw them again when I was working on another movie in Detroit, but for many, many years, yeah. Insecurity, lack of self-confidence, lack of who I really believed I was as, as identifying as someone with dwarfism, you know, I, I put a lot of ableism on myself and put a lot of pressure on myself to be just like everyone else and just normal and not be seen for a difference. I went out for the basketball team in junior high. Like <laughs> how much more, how much harder do I have to try? And it just kind of consumed me, you know, and, and I didn't have space to let that in. When I started to work on other productions with other little people, that's when the, the light started to shine through the cracks and, or there started to appear to be cracks. And I realized that little people have incredible personalities and they are happy and they are sad and they have emotions and they're funny and they're awesome and they do incredible things. It's not just me touring around playing drums. Other people are doing amazing things. And I let that finally start to you know, trickle into my, my brain and my body. And then, you know, some little people became friends of mine and uh, closer friends and dear friends. And I've, I've dated a, a little person in the past and yeah, things changed. And then once I started to share my story on the podcast, I shared it with a, a close friend of mine. And she said, why do I resonate with what you're saying so much? This is my story too in my own way. And I said, okay, this is my show. I want to showcase little people because there really is no media out there that shows little people in a light that we can be understood. We're allowed to share our stories. We're not being molded by a reality producer or, you know, a, a theatrical script, which I support that stuff. That's exposure as well, but I like to do what I do my way. And and I'm, I'm just having so much fun with it. And now, I, I, I mean, I'm almost setting a goal for myself to interview every little person because it's everyone's story is so incredible and you don't have to be an actor or a dancer or an entertainer. We just live these really incredible lives and I just want people to hear them because they're just human stories. 
very cool story out of the Motor City. You heard Detroit native Christoph Zajic Denek. He is a musician, former drummer for the city's garage rock trio Hard Lessons. He's also an actor in Los Angeles, a surfer, stuntman, and now the host of a new podcast that interviews others with dwarfism about the incredible lives they lead, including Alexis Vassos, the first little person ever to appear in any commercial as a regular person. Wow. If that sounds a little unbelievable to you, well, it kind of is. And that commercial for Amazon only aired last year, 2020. Christoph's podcast is called I'm Kind of a Big Deal. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts. Find a link for that at our Twitter page at DET Culture Shift. He spoke with Culture Shift's Amanda LeClaire, and you can find the full interview online where they discuss his experience working in Hollywood. That'll be up a little bit later today at WDET.org.